You're listening to Trade Secrets with Oliver and Denise. If you work for Microsoft, you can't share operational secrets with someone from Apple. Yeah, that's true. But in relationships, though, it's a little different. We should share the good, the bad, all of those types of things that help our relationships to grow. Yeah, you're right about that. And I feel like the information shared in these conversations will do just that. So let's dive into today's episode. Good too, and, and I um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation uh, today. And I'm we're gonna normally we say who the person is, and then we say a little bit about them. Mm-hmm. But I want you to just tell the listeners who we have, and then I'm gonna ask him to talk about okay about himself. Okay. And, 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 and those of you are listening, you'll see why in just a moment. So okay. who do we have? So today we are talking with Thomas Westenholz. Thomas Westenholz. Thomas, thank you so much, first of all, for um, agreeing to spend this time with us in this conversation. We really, really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It's my pleasure. I look forward to it. So, so before we jump into the conversation, right, normally we kind of give a little overview Right. Of who the person is like a one, two sentence overview. But I love the name of your website. So I wanted you to actually say the name and talk about how that came about. And then we'll and then we'll jump into the conversation. Yeah. So let's do that. So I'll I'll go a little bit back to just give a little bit of background first. So essentially, I started out by creating social and emotional learning programs to children in schools here in the UK and as we did that and started, you know, helping children learn how to relate both to themselves and also to other people, I started noticing that the, all the patterns that were causing issues in adult romantic relationships came down to these missing skills that we were actually teaching children in school that we had grown up and we had never learned these skills. So we were unable to understand how to communicate in that way to create intimacy and common win-win situations which you need to do if you're in an intimate relationship with anyone really not just a romantic one and after doing that then I decided to go over to San Francisco because I wanted to try and put it into a context of adult relationship and I trained in somatic relationship therapy and that was very much somatic basically means a body of understanding how we can start using the body to tune into understanding our emotions and our sensations which to a lot of people and including me for a lot of my life was very foreign. And I know for a lot of men, this is something we're ashamed about when we're children. So we just don't learn how to tap into our emotions and sensations. It's like a foreign language for us. And it was for me. And I learned in that way through dealing with social emotional learning and that training in somatic therapy, how to start understanding that and how to then start being able to express that and communicate in a way that it would be received rather than cause conflict. Um, and that kind of led to the name Sen Sensor, which is based on being Sen, being grounded, being centered. And mm-hmm. Sensor is a shortening for sensation. So being able to sense our bodies. So it's basically about being grounded in our body because that's actually the place that relating really starts from. We are often so focused on the other person, what we want the other person to do, that we forget relating starts here with us, with being able to come home to ourselves and see what are my needs 
where are my boundaries? Where is my capacity being overstepped right now? Okay, then I better communicate that so I don't get resentful. And this is why I really want to bring that home, that message. And that's kind of what the name encompass. Wow, that that is that's awesome. I love it. I love the concept behind that. <clears throat> and and you're you're right. There are there there's a component of that that is so essential to uh, the success of relationship. Well, <clears throat> even outside of relationships, right? Just the success of just our individual walk as human beings, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's so much of that that it, that is um, that is key as it relates to us being grounded, as it relates to us being centered and being able to recognize these different things. I, I love that concept, man. And then I love the name. And that's yeah, why I wanted you great. to say, to talk about it, because we wouldn't have been able to do it justice. Like right. what you did, <laughs> all of what you just said, just uh, the, the wealth of knowledge, just in that little bit of great. introduction, we wouldn't have been able to do it justice. So for, for those of you who are listening, now you understand why we didn't say <laughs> where he was from and, and what the website was, because now you realize just the, um, just the thought process that went behind that. I love it. So let's, let's, um let's talk a little bit about that. And then there's some things that I definitely want to uh, want to talk to you about um, Nisi and myself as it relates to intimacy, because there are some things that we have learned specifically during this period of time with uh, COVID-19 that we've learned about intimacy. And so I want to dig into that. But before we get into that, what, how long has it, like, when did you start doing this? Like when, what was the transition? So the, the working in general with social emotional learning started approximately eight years ago. And the focus on adult relationships started approximately three years ago where I started looking at the context of how this actually connected to adult relationships because the truth is the the habits the stories the triggers that we have that all the patterns around how we feel safe our attachment styles our love languages all this is things we learn as children for how we relate to our main caregivers and these are the patterns we play out again and again in our adult relationships and this is why often when people find a relationship doesn't work they break up that relationship and they start over. The problem is we need to stop in between and have a gap and start realizing and looking at these patterns. Otherwise, we continue to play through the same patterns again and again and again in the next relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that's true. And you you said something actually that that actually made me quickly think back to my childhood. You talked about the love languages just now and how those concepts and the things that are important to us as it relates to those love languages are things that we actually learn as kids mm-hmm. um, through our that's caregivers. Right. And that's for me, that's honestly, I'll be honest, that that's an, that's kind of eye opening for me because now I'm thinking of back to my childhood. And and would you say that is it possible for you to develop a love language based on the lack of that love language as a child? So, so for- I think, Noam, that's a really good question. So I think you're absolutely right that we can obviously feel there's a lack that we are trying to compensate for. However, I wouldn't necessarily call that a love language because love language is how we learned 
to feel that affection was expressed to us and how we felt valued. And of course, we have yeah. these five different ones that Gary Chapman kind of defined, which is touch, quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, and acts of service. And mm-hmm. I just want to quickly say, because often when people get, you know, find out that gifts is their love language, there's a lot of stigmatism around that. People will say, oh, but that's superficial and oh, you're a superficial person. There's nothing superficial about having gifts as your love language. Because if we look at this from an evolutionary perspective, we can understand that sharing resources with somebody we care about demonstrate to them that they're valuable to us, right? Because right. mm-hmm. we would only share resources if we care about somebody. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's a very valid way of having learned to feel valued and feel safe. If our parents or whoever was our caregivers came home, if our dad maybe went traveling and he came home and would bring a gift, maybe that's how we learned that our dad valued us. So mm-hmm. that would then be you know, encoded into our system and therefore we might value gifts more. For me, that's not my love language. So I know when I get gifts, it doesn't impact me because that's not how I would show affection. You know, for me, it would be getting a story read and maybe having the arm around my shoulder. So for me, it's touch. Mm-hmm. And for me, I learned that, you know, somebody appreciate me when I get touched. And the reason it's important to start understanding this, and I have a quiz on my website people can do that will help them find what their love languages are. Um, and kind of categorize which are their main ones is because if I keep giving you touch, but your love language is, let's say, gifts, then we're both going to end up frustrated because I'm putting in a lot of effort and it's not having any impact and you're not getting what you want. And it's simply, it's not because we don't care about each other. It's just because we don't know each other's love language. And again, I call it the emotional bank account. Um, You know, you talked about before the podcast, the, the, concept you guys do behind business and i use this concept in a way of understanding in a relationship what we do when we give each other our love language is we make an investment we put a deposit into that emotional bank account and that's important because you know what all relationships will have difficult periods all relationships Mm -hmm. and in those periods we are drawing out from the emotional bank account and if there's nothing in it we will go into minus Mm -hmm. eventually we will go into such a big overdraft that we can't pay it back and the relationship deteriorate and breaks up. So every time we put in a deposit, um, if you call it that, then we store up a plus in this bank account. And it both will make our relationship flourish because we both feel more safe and valued. But also means when you have hard times, and we all will have hard times, then there's something to draw on. Right. So you're not necessarily going to overdraft because you've got a good, healthy plus in that bank account. That's Man, very good. Yeah. yeah. That, that's good. And, and I like what you said about the explanation that you gave behind gifts and um, for those that, that are listening, I I love that because it takes away what you said, Thomas, takes away from that. Oh, you just want. Right. Like you're just taking because sometimes the gifts thing comes across as though I want you to give me stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not about the selfishness of getting as much as it is. The um, just the expression of how that makes me feel and how that has made me feel over the course of my life right. when you get those types of things, um, those types of gifts, man, that's good because that will free a lot of folks mm-hmm. from from feeling like, oh, man, I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm I'm asking for something or I don't want to feel like, you know, this person's obligated to me to give me these things. And so I, I love that you explained it the way that you do. Um, how does that, and I know we, we said we want to talk about intimacy, but thinking about the love languages, right? There's definitely a component of 
uh, love language that plays into intimacy and the creation and maintenance of intimacy. Talk about the connection between understanding your love language and um, moving into uh, this creation of intimacy and, and how those two connect to each other. Absolutely, I'll do that. There's just one short thing I wanted to say about love languages before I, I connect those two, and that's that the communication and being specific, and again, that's about us understanding and inquiring about our own needs, being very specific with your partner, what you want is important. I know, again, we have this Hollywood dream and fantasy that our partner should be able to read our mind and know our needs, but you don't even know your needs half the time because they change constantly. So communication is key and being specific. I love touch. But, you know, my partner might start touching my feet and I don't like that. Maybe mm -hmm. it's actually I want the shoulder massage. So right. being specific, quality time, that's great. You know, that's your love language. But what does that mean? Be specific. Well, how does that look like? Describe that to your partner so they can actually give you exactly what you want. Um, so I just wanted to mention that quickly. And so go, to go on to your question, which was about how does that connect? So I think maybe it's for people to see the connection. I want to describe the the free kind of step framework of intimacy and mature love. Do you want me to do that? Because then I think the, the context become more clear. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Perfect. So I always say that. So I basically came up with this after, you know, having studied relentlessly about the research on intimacy and love that I feel there are three essential components that spread across all this that everybody agree with is a foundation. And it's a bit like a plant in your house. It needs soil to grow in, it needs water, it needs sun. It needs certain conditions to flourish, right? Mm -hmm. A relationship is the same. We can all have a relationship, but for it to flourish, it does need specific conditions. And those three conditions that were identified were, number one, safety. Because without safety, the other ones are impossible. Mm -hmm. The second one is vulnerability. Because the fact is, we all grow up and we learn that we have to act in certain ways to be accepted, you know, by our parents, um, by our friends, by our colleagues, and we hide a lot away, a lot of sides that we know might not be acceptable. And in doing that, we shut down intimacy. And also, it doesn't allow us to be fully seen, which is one of the core human needs. We need to be fully seen. And often, even our parents are not able to give us that. We learn as children that for them to think we are good kids, we have to hide certain things away and act in a certain way. And the last component of this is what I call responsiveness. And in the context of intimacy, that would be showing your partner acceptance. Because for that vulnerability to be met with acceptance is where both healing and intimacy really happens. And I want to really mention, because this is important, because people always say to me, oh, but I don't accept everything. And I want to say acceptance is not the same as you having to give that to your partner. So mm. to give you an example, you know, my partner would share a sexual fantasy with me. It doesn't mean I want to live out all her sexual fantasies, but some of them might cross my boundaries. That doesn't mean I can't give her acceptance because I can give her a non-judgmental space where she feel free to share with me. And I can tell her and say, wow, that's such a beautiful fantasy because it's a beautiful expression of who she is, whatever that fantasy is. And that doesn't mean I have to live it out. And I think that will take a lot of that fear away that people feel mm -hmm. when I say acceptance. They're like, oh, but I don't want to do all that, that they want. I don't want to give them all their needs. That's okay. You don't have to. Um, so to talk a little bit about the vulnerability and then we can get to the safety element afterwards. You know, there's a lady called Brené Brown. I don't know if you heard about her. but Yes, she's, done, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's exactly. Go listen to a TED talk, I would say to the listeners. She's a researcher on vulnerability. 
And she talks about this core need that we have to be seen and accepted. And it's a bit, you know, while sexuality, we talk about being physical naked, this is about becoming emotionally naked. Mm -hmm. And it's very challenging and it takes a lot of courage, but it's such a beautiful journey. And the reason most of us don't go here is, like I said, because we've met a lot of judgment and learned that it's not safe because right. we all have the need to be accepted. And if we had feelings at some point we weren't accepted, we start shutting down. So how do we need if it's safe to be vulnerable? Because it's true. It isn't always safe. Some people are not safe. So the framework that I set to come up with was that there are certain steps to test and start seeing whether people are safe to share with. So one for me, and what I normally say to people I work with is I would categorize my vulnerabilities from one to 10. One being something that, you know, if you laughed at it, it's not that big a deal. It might be a bit irritating, but it's not. 10 would be devastating for my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. So I just start sharing a, a number one vulnerability with you and I see how do you respond? You know, do you respond with acceptance? Do you reciprocate and meet that vulnerability by sharing something vulnerable about you? If you do, great. On the other hand, if you start being judgmental, et cetera, then it's probably not safe. And I know not to go to number two. Mm -hmm. And slowly I will build up over time, right? Until I know it's safe because I slowly shared more and more vulnerable parts of myself. And I know you're not a judgmental person that you kind of accept whatever I express. And then I know it's safe. Again, I listen to how they speak about other people. You know, if they see a lady walk past in a shopping center and say, oh, she's too fat for that dress, then she's probably not safe to share my vulnerabilities with, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, but again, if she instead stand up for people that are being judged um, or discriminated, etc., then it's probably a good likelihood that, you know, she's a safe person to share with. Um, so again, it's just start slowly looking at these signs and then slowly opening up. And in that way, we can make it at least more safe to start sharing those vulnerabilities. And I really believe that in every moment of relating, we have a choice whether we close down and go behind our wall where we kind of hide to the world or whether we open up and are vulnerable. And I know this is so difficult, especially for men. Mm -hmm. And again, we live in a culture that glorifies individuality and American culture probably more than anywhere else in the world. You know, we love the story of the individual success who did it all by himself mm -hmm. or by herself. And I really want to take a bit of that away. I'm sorry to destroy the dream, but the mm -hmm. fact is we're social creatures and we need each other. And very often we feel unable to express what we need because there's been so much shame around having need for other people. So being able to express that we need safety and express that for most men is like something they would not even consider. And, you know, you can do this in a beautiful way. I remember when I started dating a woman a long time ago, and it was very early. And again, I could feel in my body, I felt unsettled because it didn't feel fully safe. I didn't know what was going on where we're dating other people. And most people would say, oh, you shouldn't share that. That's needy. But instead of having judgment, I just felt and I accepted I have a need to have clarity. And uh -huh. that's a valid human need. Right. So I just expressed that to her. After two weeks, I said, listen, I'm okay with whatever we are doing, but I can feel that I would like to have clarity around what we are doing. Could you tell me? And she was so happy. She said, oh, my God, I'm so happy you said that. And then we shared. And from that, it opened her up to be more vulnerable because I had opened up that space that we didn't mm -hmm. have to pretend that we were so cool and so independent and that we didn't really need reassurance, which we all do. Yeah, that's good. That's that's good. And I um, I appreciate the the that step process that yeah. you talked about mm -hmm. as it relates to vulnerability, because what we do often. Right. Is that. And I think we are maybe have been even guilty of this is that that step, that one to 10 step process. Right. We jump in at 10. Right. 
And we jump in at 10 and 10 is way too much Mm -hmm. for the other person. Yeah. But then we get upset about their reaction to it, which sometimes is just, uh, wow, you caught me off guard. Yeah. Whoa, that's a bit much. Yeah. That's, that's too much for me. And that creates a level of conflict that we could avoid if we started, uh, at one, like you said, Thomas, that is, that's good. If those of you that are listening as it relates to, vulnerability and creating intimacy and to some degree avoiding, you know, some, some conflict, like some of the pitfalls of the conflict that could be created by jumping in Mm -hmm. with both feet, so to speak, make sure you, if you need to, if you haven't, if you didn't write that down, make sure you go back and listen to that and write that down. I think that that is phenomenal advice uh, and and an excellent concept. Yeah, I, I thank you for bringing that up. And I think it's great. You're right. If people start practicing that. And also, I just want to say, because when you said sometimes we dive in and our partner's like, whoa, that's too much. Mm-hmm. And we often get very hurt, right? And we right. get very, whoa, they don't accept me. We feel rejected. We feel judged and we feel awful. I think it's so important also to become aware of the fact that, and this is neurologically proven, our brain is a storytelling organ, meaning we make meaning of the world through stories, stories where we have learned through our past experiences. So everything that we experience through our senses is interpreted through this story neural network, meaning, and often our brain have what's called a negative bias. So we will often interpret things where we don't have all the facts in a negative way. And this is important because when then they might say, whoa, that's too much, our story will often come up and interpret that it's something wrong with you. And it's important to remember actually what's happening if they have that response is about them. It's not about you. And very often what has happened is you have triggered an element in them where they don't feel safe. It could feel that suddenly, you know, like I said before, if your wife shared a fantasy with you and you feel you can't fulfill that, that makes you feel insecure and worry about losing her. So therefore it triggers your sense of not feeling safe and therefore you push back, right? And say, whoa, I don't want to hear that. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And the reason we have that judgment is because we no longer feel safe. And that's important to remember if your partner have that reaction, very often it comes back to them not feeling safe. It's not about you. So understanding what they need to feel safe is the next step, which kind of brings us on to the first element of the three steps, which is safety. So if you want me to, do you want me to continue to talk a bit about that? Yeah, talk about that. And then we're, we're, we're going to ask you about something after, right after that. I think that ties into this. Perfect. I'll just jump in whenever, because I really feel that so often what I experience is that couples will come and they will talk about different issues like sex, communication, how to raise the kids. They have all these over common issues that you will hear about in relationships, but really the fundamental issues normal come down to, again, a lack of safety, because that is the foundation for everything that happens in your relationship. Mm-hmm. Without that, no communication tools any relationship experts give you, including me, will work. Because once we're triggered and our fight and flight takes over, normal communication no longer works. And we are in a place where we can't process normal communication and logic. So I say safety is like building that house on a hill, if you built it on a hill, you know that's bound for earthquakes or mudslides. Eventually, that house will come crumbling down, no matter how well it's built or how beautiful it is. So first, we need to find a good, stable foundation piece of land before we start building. And that creates a safe place to build the house, right? 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the analogy I give people. So what is safety? What does it even mean? It means being responsive to your partner. It means trusting that the other will be there for you in times of distress and that they will not leave you. That is a fundamental of what safety is in a relationship. And depending on what attachment style people have, we have different needs for how we feel safe. And attachment styles, like we mentioned earlier, is styles that we learn you know, how we feel safe in our childhood based on how we relate with our main caregiver. So just to give a really quick overview of this, we have something called anxious attachment. And often what happened if we grew up and had inconsistent caregivers, so sometimes they might have been responsive. Maybe we had a mother who was really loving, but she was also an alcoholic. So sometimes she was not responsive at all to our needs and we felt really abandoned. Mm. Maybe we had a father who left. Um, so we had love, but suddenly he was gone. That will have created this anxious attachment style where there's a lot of fear of being left mm-hmm. or that people won't respond. And often these people are misunderstood and labeled and categorized as being needy. The problem with this judgment again is that when we judge people, they hide away their underlying need. And that means we can't get the need they have and therefore we can't make them feel safe. And that makes it worse and worse and create a toxic dynamic. If we didn't judge them because they're actually not needy, they have a reason for why they have learned to feel safe and need reassurance, right? Because they have this history. And if we can take away the judgment and we could understand that somebody is anxiously attached and they simply need reassurance, then guess what? We can give them that. And by doing that, they will start, we create a secure foundation within the relationship. And the next attachment style is called avoidant. And often that's children that would have learned that literally they have to take care of themselves. Maybe they had to grow up really quickly and act like an adult, Maybe their parents were just not responsive at all to their needs, so they learned not to trust others. And more men than women are normally categorized with avoidant attachment styles. That often you will see that they fear intimacy or you know they don't really like getting too close. They need a lot of space. And again, it makes sense if you look at their history. They learned that they had to take care of themselves from a very early age, so they don't trust that others will be responsive. So, of course, it's hard for them to open up. And again, if we know that, then the anxious person would know, oh, he needs some space because he has avoidant attachment style. He's not leaving me. He just needs his space, right? Mm. And by understanding these core needs and our styles, we don't have to get caught in this dynamic because very often anxious and avoidant are attracted to each other. And that creates this toxic dynamic where the anxious reach out to get reassurance. The avoidant feel control and pull back even more, which makes the anxious more anxious and the cycle continues. And they basically make each other's worse. If they could just stop and understand what I explained right now and look at each other and say, ah, so this happened to you as a child. So you have the need for me to just reassure you that I'm here and I'm going to stay with you and that I'll be responsive when you need me. And then you'll calm down and guess what? It's, you know, she will stop having that anxious and controlling behavior because now she feels safe. And what's wonderful is we've seen that attachment styles are not fixed over approximately two years. They can actually start changing and somebody who was anxious can start becoming securely attached and the same with an avoidant. Um, so this is why it's beautiful and important to understand these styles. It is. I, I agree with that because often what will happen, you know, when we don't understand this or we don't take the time to to learn these things uh, about our spouses or significant others, that is what causes some of that conflict, like going back to what we were talking about jumping in, you know, with both feet on the 10 side of the scale as it relates to vulnerability. Oh, let me just try this, but not, you know, scaling it and not understanding these different levels and things that we 
that that we go through that brings uh, you like you said you use the word trigger that brings up these triggers and those triggers blow into these conflicts that really could be um could be avoided right right so speaking of triggers how can couples deal with triggers and conflict mm, yeah thank you for that question so i think I think we have to start looking at relationships as essentially we are two nervous systems that interwine. So our nervous system, and we know that, actually start impacting each other far, far more when we become closely attached. And they know that from research that even, you know, if somebody's in a stressful position, even their loved one putting a hand on them will make their stress response calm down. Mm-hmm. But similar, even having a call with your loved one, if they're really angry and irritated, will elevate your stress response. We really impact each other so much. And therefore, like I said, we can't read each other's minds. So by having self-awareness, we need to start creating a map of ourselves that we can start explaining to our partner. Because, you know, if you're driving somewhere, you know, I'm sure you often use navigation or Google Maps, whatever you use, because it helps us find our destination, right? Mm -hmm. If you get a wrong turn, it's okay. It will reroute you and you'll find your way there eventually. We're good. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a map at all, you're likely to get lost, right? And if you don't have a map anywhere, then you'll keep making the wrong turn until eventually you can't find your way back home again. And that's where couples often get stuck because they haven't given each other a map. And by having a map, by understanding our triggers, and often we can understand those by looking at when we have excessive emotional responses to something, it will very often be because we have a history of something that happened to us that is then stored in our body and, of course, in our emotional wiring Mm -hmm. that makes us have an excessive response to what's happening now. So there's always a reason why we're having that. And by understanding that, we can explain the why. And this is important because the one thing Hollywood films have got right is the fact that when we explain the why of a character, it ignites the empathy in the human brain. When we understand why people acted in a certain way, we feel empathetic rather than go into our stress response and fight back, right? So as an example, if we have a wife and let's say the husband is leaving the house and he slams the door and suddenly she gets up and she runs after him, starts screaming, say, you idiot, I can't believe you did that, you asshole, etc., etc. Sorry for swearing. Um, but let's say she said that and this came out of her mouth and he turns around and gets defensive and say, why are you always so angry? They end up in an argument. They end up debating the logical details of what happened, which has nothing to do with the underlying wound that will calm her down and stop the conflict. If she was aware that maybe she reacted so strongly to this because she had an alcoholic father and when he got really abusive and she left the house, he would slam the door. So that just sent that trigger and adrenaline response through her body and she loses control. If he knows that, number one, he can avoid slamming the door, right? Therefore, we don't step on that landmine if we know each other's triggers. Mm-hmm. Number two, if he does, because on occasion we all get it wrong, but then at least he would know when she comes out screaming, he could remind himself, oh, I stepped on that landmine and he can calm down her neural network system that's so wired up and say, I'm sorry, baby, I didn't mean to do that. I forgot. You're safe. We're good. And he can give her a hug and guess what? Her nervous system will calm down Mm -hmm. because it recognizes that it's safe, right? And this is why it's so important to understand when somebody is triggered, logic has left the room, right? okay? And we are having what's called an emotional conversation and we're dealing with somebody's inner child, even if they're an adult. So forget about discussing logic. And also logic is distorted because when somebody's triggered, our memory doesn't work. Again, we know this for a fact. So forget about logic. You need to address that fight, flight, or freeze response. And you can say, okay, how can we do that? So here's what you can do if you're triggered. And this is so important because nothing will work until you are sent. 
again. And this is what I say that the two things that work the best is the fight and flight response were made biologically to make us run away or to fight the threat to, you know, make sure we're safe. That means that what the body needs when we are in that response is movement. And yet, isn't it interesting that we learn all these strategies about how to talk and communicate, but nobody ever teaches that we need to move our body. And that's exactly what you need to do if you're caught in stress response. That is the most effective strategy, whether that's putting on music and having a dance in your living room, whether it's you going upstairs, which I've done and said to my partner, I'm really triggered. I need to get it out. And she knows I'm safe and I go upstairs and I punch my pillow a bit and that let out that anger that I'm feeling and then I can come down and be calm. It could be squeezing a pillow really tight. It could be going for a run. It could be whatever you need to do, but move don't be static. If you're triggered, the way to release that adrenaline is through movement. It's the most effective strategy because that's how biologically we are wired. So once you've done some kind of movement, and you know, this could be stressful before doing a big presentation at work. You can go somewhere where you can do a few squats or go a few runs around the building. It will calm your nervous system down. The next part is doing slow deep breathing because that activate what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which basically calms us down. It's the opposite of what happened when we get excited and accelerated and anxious, where we breathe <gasps> quickly and shallow, right? So we are basically telling our body that we are safe, that we're okay. And together with movement, that will calm you down. And after that, you can then come to your partner and you can do what's called co-regulation, where you regulate each other's nervous system. And you do this through having eye contact, through touch, through reassurance and saying, baby, I feel really angry, but I'm here with you. And as soon as I calm down, I'll come and talk to you, okay? That way she knows we're good and you're not leaving, even though you might feel upset, right? And when you then can reestablish that connection, it's so important. And I see people make this mistake all the time. They will have a conversation in a car or when they're walking or when they're busy doing other things. Never discuss conflict when you're unable to sit and dedicate time for each other and can have eye contact because as soon as you see the person in your peripheral vision your amygdala your fear center is more likely to get triggered and we know this from science again when we can see the full picture of somebody our nervous system feel more calm and we're less likely to get triggered and spin into conflict again mm, that's interesting that that is and and for those of you who are listening right you, you guys normally know that we ask for um, trade secrets, right? And we're, and we're going to ask for one, but <laughs> you just got a major amount of trade secrets yeah. just in that uh, little bit of information right there. Some things that you can do uh, to, to deal with some of, uh, uh, some of those things. Um, we are going to turn a corner uh, just briefly before we let you go, but I, I just want to say I appreciate what you just said because that is helpful for even us. Mm -hmm. You know, just looking at some of the ways that we deal with some of those things and and being cognizant of the triggers and not you know and not in it being intentional about not doing those stepping on the landmine like you uh, to use your words, Thomas. Um, I think that that is phenomenal and that is so helpful to us. And I know that's helpful to those that are listening because what we've come to find out is that uh, in dealing with couples is that conflict is such a big area Yeah, that, you know, it, it is, it is, it's a big area. And, you know, I don't want 
our listeners to feel like conflict is necessarily means necessarily that your relationship is doomed. Right. Because, you know, every relationship is going to have conflict. Mm -hmm. So I hope that the listeners, you know, get that. Yeah, I I agree with that. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that's so important that you said that because conflict is natural and healthy. It's how we learn to deal with those conflicts. And also it kind of brings on just a small point here, which is, the fact is in all relationships, we're going to experience disappointment because no one person can fulfill all our needs. And having that expectation is highly unrealistic. It's how we deal with disappointment that determine whether it pushes us apart or bring us together. Mm-hmm. And the way it pushes us apart is when we let somebody else deal with their disappointment by themselves and don't want to engage and say, you know, that's your problem. You know, you want kids. I don't want to. You deal with it. That will create distance because they feel left alone and abandoned in that. And that's how we destroy safety. If on the other hand, we say, listen, you know, which I did with that example I gave you where I couldn't fulfill her fantasy, but I still listened to it and said, that's wonderful. I can't give you that. But I said, you know what? I understand that might be disappointment for you in that. And when you need to express that, I'll be here and listen to you. And then we did that. Sometimes when that was frustrating, she would sit and say, I feel really disappointed Mm -hmm. that we can't do this. And I would sit and listen to her and say, I hear that. And I really understand that Mm -hmm. it's frustrating for you. And I want to be here with you in that. And you know what? That brought us closer together even though we were dealing with disappointment. Right. I love it. Very good. I love it. So before we turn the corner, can you give us, say, like one trade secret about a good way to create intimacy? Yeah. So, of course, I I think we, we talked a bit about them here. I would say the number one secret, if we can call it that, is never threaten the relationship. whatever happens a moment of conflict you can call each other any name that you feel is appropriate within your relationship structure and your boundaries but never threaten the relationship because as soon as you do that you create what's called an attachment wound and those are very difficult to repair compared to just a normal argument so that's number one Um, i would say just one more would simply be educate yourself on other people and other cultures and on your partner because the more we understand other people, the more accepting we become of other people. And there's no greater gift that you can give your partner than full acceptance of who they are. Yes, That is the biggest gift you can give somebody else, but you can only get to that stage by becoming an accepting person and you can only get to that stage by learning to understand other people because often we fear what we don't understand. Mm. So, you know, pick up a book, read about things, mm. etc. And the more you understand, the more likely you are to feel acceptance towards that. Right. Very good. I love that. That That is, that's gold. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for, man, just the wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Um, in just these lat in, the, in these few minutes that we've spent together, man, I, I'd love to keep you forever, but I, I won't do that. Um, we'll 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 talk about how we can how we can get connect with you in just a moment because for those of you who are listening, you have to connect and get some more of of this great uh, information uh, from Thomas. But before we do that, just want to play a quick game with you. We, we uh, play this game with all of our guests. It's uh, uh, nothing you really got to think about. So don't, so don't be concerned, but uh, um, <laughs> I'll let Nisi talk about it. So it's called the 60 second think fast and it's really simple. I'm going to ask you 10 questions and each question has a choice that you have to pick. For example, 
what's your favorite color, red or blue? <clears throat> and you have to pick one of those one of those choices, either red or blue. And like I said, there's 10 questions and we're going to try and finish them in 60 seconds. And to put us under a little bit of heat, Oliver is going to set the timer and hopefully we can finish before the buzzer goes off. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Ready? <clears throat> Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here, here we, we go. go. See the movie or read the book? Read the book. Summer or winter? Summer for sure. <laughs> Morning person or night owl? Morning person. Small town or big city? Medium city. <laughs> <laughs> Car or truck? Car. Gym or outdoor exercise? Outdoor exercise. Tropical island or ski resort? Tropical island. Action movie or comedy? A comedy. Okay, now this is a U.S. question. Baseball or football? <laughs> well, that's an issue. <laughs> there we go. Soccer. So soccer. I'll there take we go. that. I'll take that. Last one. Try a new dish or play it safe? Uh, try a new dish for sure. Awesome. Cool. And with time to spare. Good stuff. Very good. Good stuff. I kind of threw you with that U.S. <laughs> sports, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hope we didn't offend any listeners. No. Hey, listen, we, we, we get it, man. We, um, we, we didn't say, we didn't mention this in the beginning, but my wife was actually born in England. In England, yes. Yeah, so. so. I understand uh, soccer. Yeah. So. <laughs> there we go. I got one on my team. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, man. Thomas, we are so appreciative of you taking this time um, actually to literally to school us. Yeah. If you were not, those of you are listening, if you were not taking notes, um, I urge you to go back, uh, listen to this again mm -hmm. with your, with your notepad and, uh, and pen and really garner and take to heart the, the things that you heard today. Um, these are some practical things that really can make a difference. Yeah in how you craft and maintain intimacy and how you deal with conflict and how you avoid uh, stepping on the landmines. I love that phrase. I'm going to have yeah, to use that, Thomas. Very you're you're going to hear me say that several more times. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours. Oh, it's right. all yours. <laughs> but I love it. You know, there's one, there's one thing I would love to just say to any male listeners out there, sure. because I really think we have this stigmatism that as men, we shouldn't be vulnerable and we shouldn't express our emotions because a lot of men have been taught this idea that it makes us weak. Yeah. And I used to believe in this story for 30 years of my life. And I can tell listeners out there, you know, I'm not weak. I've been, I've been a cage fighter for six years. I had a son who was given a week to live and we've been fighting to keep him alive now for eight years. I'm innovating medical science to keep him here. Wow. I'm not weak. I'm a man of action. But you know what? I learned that there's nothing more strong than being able to be vulnerable because there's nothing more courageous and confidence is not pretending to have it all together. Mm -hmm. It's being able to have the courage to be vulnerable. And for men who sit out there and think, oh, but women don't respect someone who's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Trust me, they do. Absolutely. I've even once gone up a long time ago in a bar and said to a woman, I feel really nervous, but I really want to talk to you. And you know what? She loved it mm -hmm. because I had the courage to tell her that I was nervous but I still had the courage to do it anyway. And that's what's important is that we have the courage to do it anyway. So you can be strong and you can be vulnerable and be a man. I that, love that. That that was a trade secret for me. I'm it. so glad that you said that. Yeah, man. That's a mic drop moment right yeah, there. Very, very great. Good stuff. Thanks, Thomas. We appreciate you. But listen, we can't let you go without 
you telling us how we can connect with you. How can we get some more of this good information? Uh, website, social media, let us know how we can connect with you. Yeah, of course. So the website is called sensensor.com and maybe you can put a link because you're right, it's a difficult name. And right. on there, there are some quizzes for your attachment language, your love language, or attachment style, I mean. And also there's a free one-hour webinar if people want to really dive into the things that we just touched upon a bit more and lots of resources. There's a Sensensor podcast as well where I debate this with different relationship experts and sex experts around the world, mainly in America. Um, and just explore this wonderful topic because there really is nothing more important to our life quality than the quality of our relationships. Indeed, I love it. And and for those of you, you'll be able to uh, get a link to that in the show description. Um, man, this was great. Yeah, this really was good. great. Really good information, um, helpful to us. And what I love about these podcasts is that. Nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, every conversation that we have with our guest, we always, the two of us take something away right. that we can incorporate in our own, uh, in our own journey. journey. Mm-hmm. And so I know yeah. without a doubt that this is valuable to the listeners because it is always valuable to us. So we thank you, Thomas, for your time. Listen, blessings on everything that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, we appreciate you and, and let's stay connected. Let's stay connected. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting this and giving people this, this platform to learn about relationships. This has been another episode of Trade Secrets. Make sure you visit www.denali.org for more engaging content and for other ways to connect with Oliver and Denise. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. Until next time, God bless.